Steve, I really appreciate everything you've said. I mean, it's just uh, so rich for all of us to hear and take in. Uh, with respect to entrance into the covenant community, why isn't the, this has always troubled me. I, mean, I hear my friend John Piper saying, or our friend John Piper, in so many ways, uh, debating with N.T. Wright, having come from a Roman Catholic uh, communion, uh, their entrance into the covenant would be through the baptismal tank. And I'm sure if you someone was to pose a question to a leader of the Anglican community is how one enters into his uh, understanding, into the covenant community, he would have to say the baptismal tank as well, correct? Mm -hmm. Then why isn't anyone asking the question? And why, why aren't we as good uh, biblicists, I hope, saying that it is through the circumcision of the heart, yeah. which, which Jesus equates, of course, with the new birth. I find this all too troubling because I, I, as a spectator in this sport, <laughs> if I can put it that way there, it becomes very, very frustrating listening to the scholars fight out over what is the covenant, what are the covenant mockers without ever getting to the essentials of what, you know, what constitutes life in the covenant. And, and uh, so I, I can't wait for the scholar who's going to say, hopefully Shriner, who's going to be taking uh, Piper's place in the up and coming future with N.T. Wright, will say, hey, Doc, how did you get into the covenant community in the first place? And if he answers that one right, then you can continue talking. So that wasn't a question, that was a statement, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I learned this from some of my friends. <laughs> Uh, and, and, but shouldn't this be, uh, would you encourage us, and I, I think you are, uh, shouldn't we really be talking about the Baptist view of how one enters the covenant? Yeah, um, I mean, let me be, be, pick up on, on the statement issue. I mean, the reason they say that is because they have a false view of, of uh, covenant membership. Uh, they have a mixed understanding of the nature of the church, so that they have to then tie something back to that which is objective, namely the act of baptism. Uh, this then incorporates uh, one into the church. Right? Now again, on some of those views you're looking at, uh, some are going so far as to say baptism actually regenerates. Right? Uh, and then the covenantal view, for the most part, doesn't say that, whether it's a kind of presumptive regeneration, but still faith is necessary. So, I mean, we do have to talk about how one enters the covenant community, right? Yeah. We enter it by, I mean, certainly regeneration, but we enter it by faith, right? Uh, faith, uh, then we have to then talk about how does one have faith? Uh, well, obviously, uh, it's regeneration that brings about faith, but we then say they believe. Mm -hmm. And baptism then functions, and we say, well, I mean, the New Testament can say that um, you've entered the covenant community by baptism, right? But that presupposes. Yeah. Uh, and the whole context of the New Testament is that one has faith, right? So that one has repented of their sins, they believe in Jesus Christ, uh, that regeneration has taken place, and that's how one becomes a Christian. Right? And uh, that has to be clearly said. Yeah, absolutely. And because I, I personally believe that we've been too timid and shy and, and uh, really, because I, I, see, I see systems of theology or these people who are debating these things uh, uh, allowing the continuing deluding of people uh, really it's like easy believism I think you hinted at uh, through the baptismal process amongst Baptists we're deluding thousands to hell yeah. well and, and, and baptism is it, baptism is presented also in the New Testament as a proclamation right yes it's uh, so I mean the, all the, the ordinances I mean it says Lord's Supper um, and, and baptism we want to make sure that as baptism baptism 
beautifully proclaims the gospel. Amen. But if we are doing it in such a way where we are now baptizing children who are unbelievers, they're not united to Christ, they're not regenerate, I mean, that is not proclamation of the gospel. We are not telling people clearly how they enter into faith union with Jesus Christ, how they come under the benefits of his work, how his work is applied to them, how they enter into the new covenant. Right? And that's where the gospel is muddied. Right? Mm. That's why many of us were concerned with, uh, with Piper, right? Uh, where he wanted to, and, and I understand his motives, but at Bethlehem Baptist, and he was vetoed on this, but at Bethlehem Baptist to, to welcome both infant Baptists and Baptists into covenant membership, right, or into church membership. And, uh, you know, this, is, this just muddies the waters, right? It'd be better to say, look, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We disagree with one another, but we cannot muddy the waters there. We're going to have to establish separate churches until we wrestle with this issue, come to conclusions on the matter and everything else. But the, the issue is too important because it, it brings confusion. If I could illustrate this through, in a, you know, as a pastor, we had a young man and his wife and uh, daughters uh, come to the church, and he was a Baptist pastor, a junior pastor, a church pastor, whatever, I don't know. But uh, he, he embraced the uh, uh, paedo-baptism, and uh, he's sprinkled all his kids, and he comes to our church, our community, and uh, he wants his kids to take the communion table. And we, we told him, you can't do that. You just cannot do that. He said, well, I don't think children would be such an issue. I says, it's, uh, personally, I said to him, I says, your children is not the issue. It's your fault your understanding. Yeah, you believe yeah. they're in covenant relationship yeah. with God. I am saying they're still under the wrath of God. Yeah, yeah exactly right. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tested your right. <laughs> I know what everyone's thinking. I ask a lot of questions. Um, uh, for, first of all, fantastic job. I uh, read your article on Believer's Baptism a year ago. Oh, and good. It was very good. Um, as I've studied covenant theology, I, I never could understand Baptistic covenant theologians. Um, and your presentation just deepened that for me. <laughs> um, but I, I just, do you think that Baptistic Covenant theologians are inconsistent with their own system? Right. Well, first of all, we have to be clear as to what we mean by covenant theologians, right? I don't think, I mean, you know, normally when we, we, the way you're using the term and the way most people use the term is, is referring to classic sort like of covenant. Like 1689. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I'm just thinking covenant theology as a kind of term referring to, you know, that which comes post-Reformation and, you know, Presbyterian circles and, and that kind of thing, right? It's unfortunate in my mind that um, that term is so easily given up, right? Mm -hmm. In some sense, I mean, to be a new covenant theologian, aren't we covenant theologians, right? Why do we have to give up that term? We, we, we usually have to say something else because of the baggage that it brings. But that's why I like to say, look, I think I'm more covenantal than you are. Yeah. I don't think you understand the covenants properly. I think you so flatten them that you don't understand them correctly. So I, you know, maybe new covenant is the way of, 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 of then saying we are still, we believe in the covenants. We believe, I mean, this is the way God has disclosed himself and acted. So 
I guess that's some of my frustration is I, I want to call myself still covenantal, but not that way. So that's why New Covenant is, is, is the label to do. But now your question in terms of... Um, the covenant of grace. You know, yeah, I mean, you're talking about Baptists who are basically accepting the, the standard covenant theology presentation except at the point of baptism. Yes. Right. Well, I do think they're inconsistent. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I do think they don't, <laughs> they don't realize what they're buying into. So what happens is... And we see this at our at that Southern Baptist Seminary. You have people that come out of the Southern Baptist circles that are atheological, right? Um, who who then come to our school, they're introduced to theology, and then they can easily go into Reformed theology and covenant and pedo baptism, not because they we haven't you know uh, said something that uh, we we can't answer or anything else is because they then say, well, here's my, you know, I've really learned so much from all these people, and they, they just sort of gravitate over there, and they're just happy to buy into the system type of thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's where we have to, you know, the Baptist covenantal people, I don't think are going to have a strong argument against keeping people from moving yeah. in that direction. Yeah, that's what I've seen. Now, so we have to put some alternative in place, and that's what New Covenant is trying to do, to say, look, there's, there's the, this is not the way to put everything together. Now, in, in, in saying that, um, I still think, uh, you know, people who are, are saying baptism is a believer's baptism and still operate with covenant uh, theology, um, even though I think that they're not as consistent as they should be, uh, they still are listening to the New Testament, right? They yeah. still are listening to how do you get from the New Testament the paedo-baptist argument. The only way you can get it is you have to start from the Old Testament and say, we are going to bring that right over. We're not going to listen to what union with Christ is. We're not going to look at the description of the church. We're not going to see what baptism signifies. So at least our covenantal Baptist brothers and sisters are being more attentive <laughs> to yeah. the New Testament and being honest uh, with it. And that's what allows them to say, look, I still think there's a lot of truth in covenant theology uh, and I'm being Baptistic. I think what we want them to do, the ideal world would be to provide a better way of putting the covenants together so that what is, what is taught in the New Testament, I think so clearly, right? the only way you can deny, I think, what's being taught in the New Testament in terms of baptism is you already have to come with your whole system in place. Right? So what's clearly being taught there to provide something better underneath it that is more biblical, more faithful, that allows them to be more consistent across the board in a whole host of areas so that hermeneutically type of thing, they're not picking and choosing. Uh, they're not saying, uh, well, I'm going to hold this, but I'm going to you know, deny this over here. So they're more consistent in their whole understanding of Scripture. Definitely. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh. parable about that, right? Uh, you come to the first of the table and you can put in the back. No, I, I didn't want to rebuke an older man harshly. No. <laughs> um, just a question. Um, this is something that I've thought through over the years and um, something that I'd just like for you to speak to. Um, I think I've come to some, um, some kind of statement on it um, from my own just thinking about it and I hope it's not too off topic. Um, can you speak to the... Rod will decide. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> Whether it's off topic. Okay. He's got the gavel. <laughs> um, can you speak to the, the qualitative difference between the personal experience of an old covenant believer and a new covenant believer? Um, for instance, how this would affect our reading and relation to the psalmists, for instance. Yeah, yeah good, good, good. Um, so just to yeah, yeah, I mean, speak to that. Uh, again, I mean, I'll give you what I, how I put it together. I mean, it doesn't mean that I'm the, I'm the final word on it, right? So how I, how I put it together is this. Um, you have to eventually, uh, you know, do justice to the Old Testament, New Testament, the whole canon. You have the emphasis then on the spirit in terms of the New Testament, right? So mm. the third person of the Godhead always exists, right? Has always existed, right? So we have a, what we say, you know, a triune God from all eternity, right? He doesn't evolve and become a triune God. So we call that imminent trinity or ontological trinity. So he's always been there. So the third person of the Godhead has always been operative. Mm. You see elements of that in, uh, you know, creation. I think the best way to understand spirit there in Genesis 1 is spirit of God, not breath of God or something like this. Right, right. Now, it's not clearly defined in terms of the Old Testament, the whole work of the Spirit. Spirit of God language, a uh, hundred or so times in the Old Testament, can simply be God at work. Yet, as you work through the Old Testament, uh, you tie to particularly the coming of the future age, you have this strong emphasis on the coming of the Spirit, the pouring out of the Spirit on Messiah, the pouring of the Spirit in the Messianic age, and all of that. So then the New Testament, the whole coming of the Spirit that is now linked to Christ, now regeneration. You think John 3, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, you should understand what I'm talking about. Uh, the Spirit is now given, John 7, Pentecost. We have to say, I think you have to say there's some qualitative difference here. Right? That's, well, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. It's not, not, the, not, the, not the why, but the what. Well, I mean, I guess what I'm you, know, at. you have to sort of st step back here and give a good, yeah. good answer. Right? Okay. So, so you have, you know, there's a qualitative difference, right? Right. Now, what is it? Some will say uh, regeneration and the language of indwelling is both part of the new covenant. The problem, in my view, with saying regeneration is, well, all right, how do these people become believers in the Old Testament, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that's a theological argument. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's tied to understanding of sin. In the New Testament, the work of the Spirit is identified with regeneration, the third person of the Godhead. So I would say uh, regeneration is not simply a new covenant reality. There has to be some kind of regeneration in the Old Testament. But it's a theological argument. Now, in the Old Testament, how does it describe? Well, God circumcises. God changes. Now, you don't have the clear delineation between the persons of the Godhead, um, but, you know, one God is acting. So I would say regeneration is similar. Now, not all in the Old Testament have a regeneration in terms of the covenant community. That's different, right. but regeneration. Now, indwelling. I do think this is a new covenant reality, right? So that I don't think... Now, you do have the coming on of the prophets, priests, kings, Saul, or Saul has it, the spirit leaves, David... What's going on here? That's, that's the mediated nature of this old covenant. The empowering work. So that, I mean, that's what Joel 2 is saying. Now that empowering work is now democratized, all have that. Right? So that that indwelling, you know, indwelling is interesting, isn't it? In the Old Testament, dwelling language is primarily tied to external structures. Right? Tabernacle, temple, teaching. We, you know, think of how the tabernacle temple theme comes across. Christ is the true tabernacle. 
Christ is the true temple. We then, by virtue of union with him, become the temples of God, right? Mm -hmm. Don't go from temple to us first, right? right. So that uh, we then become the temples of God, so that the dwelling now is tied to our faith union with him, who is the true temple. So I do think that's a new covenant reality that the Old Testament saint, the Old Testament saint had to travel, had to go to the temple, had to go through the priest, so that you know, the presence of God was still in the nation, still with the land, still with you know, uh, the people of God, but not in the exact same way, I think, than what we have. So, summary, I think regeneration is consistent with all true believers, both old and new, indwelling is a new covenant reality. That's how I would argue. The, so, the ex, yeah. so the experience, as, as it goes to my last little point, in terms of relating to the psalmists, for instance, you, you're saying that the indwelling is a different experience yeah. now. How would that relate to someone, say, for instance, Psalm 88, yeah. where he never seems to get out of depression, should we find ourselves there? That kind of thing is yeah. where I'm kind of trickling it down yeah, to. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, in terms of, you know, I mean, the Psalms uh, in that way, I mean, for, first of all, the Psalter, I think uh, we've done some in disservice to it uh, in, in the sense that uh, we just simply read in our personal experiences, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, first we have to look at what the Psalter, first we have to treat the Psalter as a Psalter, mm -hmm. right? So it's made up of uh, five sections, 150 Psalms, it's a book. Now, it reflects the hymnody of the nation of Israel, reflects this and that, but, it, but it, you know, it's presented I mean, for the most part as the Psalter of the King. Right? I mean, it takes on huge messianic thrust. I mean, that's how Jesus can now see himself in that. So that doesn't mean that doesn't have any application to us. Right. So say a Psalm 22 you know, has application. The Davidic sufferer is picked up in David's greater son. Yet, I mean, we experience... Uh, abandonment, this kind of thing, but we have to first see it before we apply it first to us, uh, I think in light of you know, Christ and how it's then brought over, right? right? Yeah. So I think then in terms of the depression areas, then, I, mean, I do think we have to, to factor in, right? I mean, can Christians get depressed? Is that taught in the New Testament? Can there be struggles? Sure. sure yeah. But we also must make do just service to uh, the Psalter in its Old Testament context. The so if we then say, you know, don't, you know, David says, don't take your spirit from me, and then we then apply to thus in the terms of, uh, you know, uh, indwelling and everything else, I mean, mm -hmm. then I think we've flatly misunderstood what's going on here. Yeah. So we're always having to take it, put it in its context, see where we are in redemptive history, then begin to think through its application to us as the people of God yeah. today. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. David. Brother Steve, as always, thank you for your ministry. We are blessed yeah. and we're grateful. Uh, on the lighter side, you mentioned circumcision, circumc <laughs> circumcision <laughs> and Jews. What do you call an uncircumcised Jew? An uncircumcised Jew today? Yeah, or any time. Or, or any time? Any time, yeah. Or A Jewess. <laughs> <laughs> That was free, brother. All right, uh, all right. Good okay. old dude. <laughs> He's been thinking deeply where, about Where's this, Lloyd? Right? <laughs> uh, yes, thinking deeply, yes. <laughs> it doesn't happen often, but I do it occasionally. Uh, on a more serious note, in your first session, did, when, when you spoke about covenants, did I understand that you said in approaching the covenants of Scripture you do not see bilateral covenants? that basically there are conditional and unconditional elements? Uh, yes, let me clarify. Right. Okay. In that I don't, think it's, I don't think it's right just simply to say this covenant is solely this 
versus that. Right. Right. So I think that that's certainly their covenants. I mean, you think of the, the Mosaic covenant, right? right? Sinai covenant, Old Covenant. I mean, certainly bilateral. Right? It's predominantly right blessing okay. curses, right? Good enough. That's what I wonder. But yeah, I mean, you clearly, I mean, and so, but again, we have to then say that in that Old Covenant, all right, is, is built on promises. Sure. It's built off Abrahamic, built mm -hmm. off that which comes earlier, right? So that to simply say, oh, this is simply bilateral. There's nothing of uh, any kind of unconditional. I mean, isn't part of how the storyline unfolds, right? Right. So that, yes, I would say, uh, I mean, even with Abraham, I mean, Genesis 15, I mean, clearly this God will do this, right? Okay. Yet there is still obedience themes. Right. And I think it's part of the larger storyline where God always demands obedience from us, yet we fail. He will have to provide, and so mm -hmm. they go hand in hand. But there's no doubt you can say predominantly there is blessing, curse. There, are, you know, the whole right. nation, I mean, the whole nation of Israel functions in a whole set of ways, right? But one of their primary ways they function is to show the utter failure. Yes. Right. Which the the law right. comes into their experience, which is good uh, of God and all these things, but it brings death because of their sin, and it was intended to do that in right. some and sense. The prophets right? enforced the <laughs> yeah. curse of the covenant That's on exactly them. Right. Yeah. That's Very exactly good. right. Yeah. Uh, additionally, on the covenant, when you were speaking about the covenant with Adam, you rooted that, it seemed, in Genesis 6.18. Right, right. God says, I will confirm my covenant with you to right, Noah, right. your seed. Right. In looking at that, it seems the language of I will confirm, and right. I do believe there's a difference between confirm and cut or, right. or make, but it seems the language of confirmed there might point more forward to the Genesis 9 when Noah disembarks the right, ark right, right. and the whole structure of 820 when he offers the sacrifice through to the sign of the covenant being the, the bow and the cloud. And what, what ground would you give or evidence would you give for thrusting Genesis 618 backward toward Adam? Yeah, I, I would simply say um, six, 6 through 9, right? Uh, I would take as a unit, right? So I'm just picking up the language from 618 in terms of establish or confirm. Okay. Uh, and then it's also picked up in 9 as well, right? right? But I do think we treat the whole Noahic presentation from 6 to 9 as a unit, right? right. So that there, uh, if you have, uh, you never have the language of he is cutting this covenant mm -hmm. with Noah. So that seems to, I mean, if, this, if one can establish, and, and I think one can, the cut establish distinction it does assume or presuppose some kind of ongoing relationship. So say six is pointing to nine, but then nine, I mean, as, as a Noahic covenant, is presupposing something already in place, mm -hmm. uh, which then picks up Edemic. I mean, the only person you can go back to, obviously, is, is Adam. And then you have, uh, you know, Edemic echoes, obviously tied to, to Noah, fruitful, multiply. I mean, he's picking up that role now that God has wiped away the human race. Here is a kind of new Adam. All right. And it's, it's, it's that kind of argument. Okay. Yeah. It seems to you know, structure the language, I will establish Genesis 6. Right. You come in Genesis 9 to I am establishing. It appears right. the Hebrew participle there making it present. Right. So I'm just wondering if, you know, we have to root it backward. And uh, you right. know, I'm, right. I'm not so... Well, I mean, I mean, again, I mean, you know, that, I mean, there's a huge debate, right, in terms yes. of, because, uh, you know, I mean, you, it would be great to have uh, covenant language applied to, to Adam type of thing, right? So, but you still have to do justice. I mean, if there is this cut established distinction, right. something is, it, Going it's not on. just moving forward. I mean, it's, it's already presupposing something already existing, right? Very good. And then, I mean, you do have to deal with 
larger biblical structures, right? So that what do you say is going on here with, with Adam? I mean, he's certainly, I mean, in light of uh, later revelation, right, he's functioning as a head. He's functioning as a representative. I mean, mm-hmm. Romans 5, 1 Corinthians 15. Right. Uh, he is given that unique role there. Uh, the whole Bible is framed Adam, Christ. Right? right. So if you don't like the word covenant, you've yeah, got to say something's going on. That's where my problem <laughs> yeah, has yeah, been, yeah, I guess, yeah. as far yeah. as, you know, there are those in covenant theology who say right. God always deals with men covenantally. Right. And it seems that in some measure, the evidence is lacking for Adam because he's the head of the race. I don't have any problem speaking as head and representative, but I want to avoid in some way the term federal head because federal implies that. But anyway, just wanted more. One further thought and question. As you've spoken about Christ and his people and the sonship idea, in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews talks a lot about Christ's house, about Christ. Christ bringing many sons to glory. Behold, I am the children whom thou hast given me. Do you think in some measure that working out in Hebrews may be a development of the seed theme in the New Testament in that spiritual way that you were speaking of? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think as it, as it comes across, right? Uh, I mean, in Hebrews 2, clearly, I mean, you have uh, the whole framing of Hebrews 2. Christ is better than angels because he does a work that no angel could ever do. Mm-hmm. Now, what's he doing? Well, he becomes human. Right. right. He fulfills Psalm 8. So Psalm 8 frames the entire chapter, right? And in, 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 in fulfilling the Edemic role, which clearly Psalm 8 looks back to creation, yes. but forward, he yeah. now brings many sons to glory. Through suffering. But as you, as, you, as you think of the sonship as it comes across, right, he is the son par excellence. I mean, he is son the son. over the house in 3.6. Yeah, right. I mean, and that's all Davidic. His house. That's all Davidic themes, right? From first, uh, and, and well, Moses, took, Moses is a servant in God's house, a, but yeah. Christ is a son over his own. Yeah, and that's Numbers 12, isn't it? I mean, yeah. uh, you have the language, right? Numbers 12, he is the servant in my house, yeah. Moses. The Davidic king, servant over the house, and then sonship language applied there. So, I mean, the big structures, right? I mean, you, you have Christ is the true son. Mm-hmm. He is the one who fulfills... Uh, the covenant mediator role. He is the true Adam. He is the one who wins for us what Adam lost and these other sons that shadowed, foreshadowed him could not bring. And thus, we now, through, I mean, the, the imagery in, 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 in Hebrews 2, right, is this champion, pioneer, trailblazer. He blazes right. the trail, uh, takes us in his wake, right. and we become sons and daughters. So we are his house. Amen. Right? And so the people of God are the temple of God, the house of God. Thank you so much, yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, hi, uh, Berkeley again from Greenville. And this question is difficult for me to phrase. Um, it seems to me that in your, in your formation, and especially for infant baptism, that the main issue is that you can't baptize unbelievers. It just doesn't make any sense, right? So um, I'm wondering why you didn't bring these two passages up and um, maybe you can uh, speak to that. But my question is, uh, first I'll, 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 I'll read the passages and I'll ask you basically what do New Covenant theologians say about it versus Covenant the- theologians, how do they deal with it? And this is the passage, uh, Matthew 3. Uh, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I and I am not fit to remove his sandals, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then Acts chapter 1, 
For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, um, so what, what do you do with that baptism there? How do covenant theologians handle that text? Because it seems to blow infant baptism out of the water as far as relating water baptism to re regeneration yeah. in my yeah. mind. And then am I thinking correctly on that as far as new covenant the theologians well I mean I think, I, think the, I think the covenant people would, would I mean they build off so much of well this just continues so that they would say yes Christ is bringing something new I mean they, they, they're not denying any discontinuity but the same he will baptize with the spirit the spirit is given to the church I mean but it, the problem is is making sense of that in, in, in the sense of uh, giving the spirit does the, does the child have the spirit is there regeneration well most of them don't want to move that direction exactly. these links are broken right exactly uh, so that's a problem now in terms of uh, uh, you know new covenant people I mean we we see we must distinguish John's baptism mm -hmm. from Christian baptism yes. of course right? mm -hmm. so you know John's baptizing is a as, a, as looking forward to coming of Messiah now what he's speaking of here in terms of Christ is he brings the spirit with him the spirit will be now be poured out uh, I think that occurs uniquely at Pentecost with the fulfillment of his work uh, he baptized with the spirit Christian baptism now signifies that that spirit's work has been applied Christ's work has been applied and all that he's tied in terms of the Old Testament expectation has now come so so, I mean, it fits very well with this, this idea that, that Christian baptism is only to be applied to those who have now have the spirit in that way. But you see, this is where even covenant theologians, I think you Doug Wilson in that, they'll, they'll appeal to, say, the Hebrew 6 passage, right? Uh, the warning passages become very, very important for them. And they'll say, well, you know, you, you tasted of the spirit. You see, it's possible that the spirit is given to the church. You can taste of these things and apostatize. See, doesn't that tell you you have a mixed community? And so they appeal to that kind of argument to try to show by default their presentation from the Old Testament. So they would say that you can be baptized by the Holy Spirit. But well, I mean, those guys, I mean, Wilson, these guys go far. They will say, uh, and, you know, people like Ligon Duncan and people like that today don't want to go this far, right? But these guys are really moving far, right? Where they will say uh, an infant who is baptized is objectively in the covenant. They are objectively joined to Jesus Christ. They have the Spirit. So they've been baptized they will, by the Holy Spirit. They will, yes and no, they will play with the term regeneration. They will say they are not regenerate in the way we use regeneration in the sense that they are given new life and they are actually, you know, full believers. But they will appeal to Matthew 19.28 where the word regeneration is used to refer to new creation realities. And they will say they are part of the new creation, the church, and uh, they have the spirit in that way. Now, this is really dangerous, right? So this yeah. is moving almost to a kind of baptismal regeneration with a different twist. So again, they're missing the way the New Testament puts that together in terms of salvation, its application. Uh, and they're letting their whole view drive their conclusions, which the New Testament just doesn't sure, give you. Sure. And that's, you know, they're not putting the whole canon together. So you think that that particular phrasing of tying baptism to re regeneration is, is one of the most important ones as far as 
I mean, I think it's, it's crucial, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, uh, you know, for because the whole promise is is that the Spirit will be given, regeneration will take place, uh, and, then, and then it's more than that, though. It's, it's, it's how the church is described. It's how what Christian salvation is. It's what union with Christ is. It's what baptism. So it's not just that, but it signifies all those realities. 